Thank you for taking the time to listen to this audio message from the pulpit of Gospel Light Baptist Church. Our church is led by Pastor Brent Lenentine. Pastor is celebrating his 28th year of ministry in the greater Albuquerque area. We want to invite you to be our guest at an upcoming service. We are confident that you will find Gospel Light to be friendly, accepting, and challenging. You'll find the music to be exciting and heart-stirring, the challenge ministry to be engaging and spiritual, and the preaching to be biblical and practical. We hope to see you soon. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and hath called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed." And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me, in faith and in love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Let us pray. Father, tonight we thank you for bringing us all here safely. We've heard that some have driven 700 miles, some have flown, some have come just a few miles. But we believe you have us here for a very unique purpose. You have us here to strive together for the gospel's sake. And I pray that because of these few days together, that there would be more souls in eternity, that there would be more effective ministry happening, and Lord, that you would be honored and glorified is our prayer. And Lord, as Pastor has mentioned some things with respect to what you have done, at Lancaster Baptist Church, I want to pause and thank you and praise you, Lord, for your mercy and for your grace and for the working of your Holy Spirit. And now we pray that in this service, your presence would be very evident, and we ask that you would meet needs that we know nothing about, and we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I often try to imagine how the Apostle Paul must have felt as he was in the Mamertine prison there in the city of Rome, awaiting death. The Mamertine prison was not a place that you went for 30 days or 60 days and then you were released. This particular prison was 12 feet underground. It was comprised of two chambers. It would hold a few dozen people and there was one door that you could find the sewer through that door and sometimes dead bodies were thrown through that door. But the only other way out was on your way to execution. This was the prison that men were sent to 
not for prolonged imprisonment, but if their execution was imminent. And here, as we think of the prison of the Apostle Paul, we have the privilege tonight of opening up 2 Timothy and reading what could be called his last will and testament. So as I think of the Apostle Paul, and as I stood some years ago in that Mamertine prison, I thought of the, ter the terrible surroundings that he found himself in, but then I also thought about not only the place where he was, but the people that were on his mind. You know, being a pastor, being no doubt an apostle, a missionary as he was, it doesn't matter where you are, your thoughts are always going to go to the people with whom you serve. And it's interesting to me that he's thinking about these people and he's writing about them in 2 Timothy 4 and 10. He says, for Demas hath forsaken me. Demas hath forsaken me. He mentions Phygelus and Hermogenes, perhaps cowardice from the least expected. And isn't it something that here he is in this prison and some of the thoughts on his mind are around people that had left the faith or had left the ministry. And I suppose that every church and every Bible college and every pastor will face that disappointment. There will be some that do not follow in the way that they were taught from the Word of God. And as he recollected these various individuals, he also mentions Onesiphorus. And thank God for the Onesiphoruses of our life. He said, Onesiphorus oft refreshed me, refreshed me. And no doubt he could have thought of Titus, who was the faithful bishop at Crete and who took such a great stand even after the apostle Paul's death. But he thinks of these defectors. And he thinks of the potential for defection as time would go on after his death. And with those thoughts on his mind and as the Holy Spirit is superintending, his last letter is not written to a church. It's not written to all the churches of Asia Minor. His last letter is written to one man, one individual, a young man that had first seen the Apostle Paul when he was stoned in a city called Lystra, a young man whose first view of the ministry was not a pastor in a suit behind a pulpit. It was a preacher in a pile of rocks and in a pool of blood. And as he was there in that prison thinking about perhaps some of the disappointments of his ministry, the Holy Spirit caused him to write to one young man. And I find it interesting by way of introduction what he says to him. And I find myself saying this from time to time to younger men as well in ministry. He says in verse 8, very clearly, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. I'm afraid that many today are ashamed of the stigma of a consecrated life. There will come times when things happen in the lives of preachers and churches that are shameful. And we should not cover those things up or act as though they did not happen. But this idea that's sweeping our nation today that somehow causes pastors and churches to not want to have the stigma of Christianity is a great concern to me for the Bible says that we've been called to be a peculiar people in this day. And the local church is a called out assembly and that indicates that we are a separated body of believers in the local church. And, and, and just think of this, Paul is saying 
in light of Demas and in light of uh, Phagellus and in light of these uh, Hermogenes and others, he's, he's saying, Timothy, don't be ashamed of what I taught you. Don't be ashamed of the stigma of believing in the resurrection and don't be ashamed of the stigma of standing uh, for the truth. And, and he uses other words. You've read this book like hold fast, keep, be strong, endure. And in Paul's final hours, he shows us that we can offer to the next generation uh, an example that even in the middle of a corrupting culture and even with compromising churches, that we can at least be the example that they need in this hour. An example of faithfulness. And I want to share with you tonight three characteristics of the life of the Apostle Paul that I believe every one of us as preachers and as mature Christians to say, Lord, help me to possess these attributes in my life. Help me to give this testimony. As I study the life of the Apostle Paul and this passage in particular, I note first of all that he was a man who was biblically confident. He was a man who possessed a biblical confidence. And I want you to see not self-confidence, but notice in verse 11 the Bible says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom... I have believed. Here was a man who was confident in his calling, confident in his relationship with the Lord. And the Bible teaches us in 2 Timothy 1 and 7 that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I really believe as we live now in a nation that's legalizing marijuana and allowing boys to go to girls' bathrooms if they feel like it. and and uh, same-sex marriage at the high court level and all of the scandals that we see plaguing our country today. Sometimes it seems to me even to be a very daunting task to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's overwhelming, and, and as the world continues to move more and more into darkness, for those that would just stay true to the light, sometimes it's intimidating, and sometimes there's perhaps a pull to maybe not look so distinctive in this day in which we live. And yet, in the midst of this, we need men of God who with love and grace will stand for the truth in biblical confidence, saying, I know this is getting more difficult, but I must be true to the one that has called me in the first place. Sometimes we hear the news and we see the changes and the shifts in the culture and it can be a little frightening. Reminds me of the story of, of uh, some problems they were having in Houston, Texas a few years ago with uh, dogs that were attacking people and children in particular. And these dogs were coming and biting the children and in packs and running away and one day a reporter went out and was doing a report on this, uh, this problem and she found a little boy named DJ and she had heard the dogs got around him but, but he was not bitten. And so uh, she said to him, she said, now, now DJ, how did you come away from this attack unharmed? And the little boy got a very serious expression on his face and he said, well, he said, right in the middle of the attack, the Lord spoke to me. And she said, really, what did the Lord say to you? He said, the Lord said, run, DJ, run. <laughs> you know, I think there are a lot of us who hear that from the devil sometimes. Rather than stand, there's a temptation to run. But I want you to notice here that Paul was confident, first of all, in his calling. And I believe today that we need men of God who will never doubt 
in the night what God gave them in the light. Confident that God has called us. Did you see that in verse 10? Uh, he's, he's very clear about this fact that he was a God-called man and that God had placed him into the ministry. It says here, has now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who hath abolished death. And he says in verse 11, I am appointed a preacher. Notice that phrase, I am appointed. First Timothy 1 and 12 says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. And he is specifically appointed as a preacher. And you've studied that word. It is the word keruk. And I understand and I hear uh, that uh, millennials have some, some expectations. Not all are bad. One of those expectations is they like to know the why on certain matters. And that's fine. I don't mind explaining the why of the scripture. But I'm told that there are some in our society that really don't want to hear preaching as much anymore. They want more of a reasoning process. And, and let me tell you, there's a place for that. There's a place for teaching and reasoning, but we must never forget that Paul was confident about this very thing, that God had appointed him to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the word preach is to be as the king's herald, to proclaim the truth of the word of God. And there is authority in the word of God and in the preached word of God. And there must be the bold proclamation of the word of God in this day. And yes, there sometimes is a stigma with that. And even some of the secret churches mock it. And they say, if you're tired of this type of preaching, then, then come here and, and, and you won't hear that type of preaching. But I think of what Paul said in the last chapter of this book. He said, I charge thee therefore. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, he said. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and resort with all long, uh, all long suffering and doctrine. And I want to just simply say tonight, I believe that we need now more than ever the preaching of the word of God. And, and not less of it, but more of it. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. And sometimes people say, well, not very many come for the altar call, so I don't give that as often and not many people come for Wednesday night. I don't give that as often. You've got to determine, Pastor, are you going to be the thermostat or are you going to be the thermometer? Are you going to just kind of go with however the temperature is? Or by God's grace, are you going to set the temperature in that church and keep the pulpit hot so that God's people will know that whenever they come to the house of God, they're going to hear the man of God preach the word of God in the power of the spirit of God. And Paul said, I am confident about this very thing. There may be some other things happen at church. We may do some singing and some fellowshipping. and We may do some eating. You might have a, a, an Easter program. All those things have their place. But I'm telling you, uh, the engine that pulls the whole train is the preaching of the Word of God. And Paul was confident uh, that he was to be a preacher. And he was to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus us to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And I want to tell you something. There's nothing like preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It ought never to get old. It's a great joy. I think it was about 18 months ago or so we had one of the police officers in our church was, was murdered. He went to a, a call and uh, he came around a house out around the backyard and there was a a felon that had been released and shot him right in the face. Stood over him and shot him three more times in the face. And our mayor called me and said, Pastor, you need to come down here to the 
down here to the hospital. He said, uh, there's already about 500 sheriff's deputies here. He said Steve was very well loved and somehow they were keeping him somehow looking alive with epinephrine and different drugs. I don't know that he was really there when I walked in. It was a very gruesome situation. I went in and I put my arms around his family and I began to pray with them and it was maybe a minute later they pronounced uh, Sergeant Owen was, was gone with the Lord. And I stayed there, I think, for seven or eight hours just with the family and different folks were coming in and out and they asked if I would have the funeral at the church. And the funeral was to be on the next uh, Wednesday and I was preaching on Monday in North Carolina. I flew back on Tuesday just to kind of be there for sort of a kind of a rehearsal for this funeral. It was uh, the largest funeral for a police officer in our state's history. 7,000 police officers. And they were saying, now here's where the bagpipers will come in, and here's where the governor's helicopter will land, and here's where these will sit, and here's where these will sit. And it was kind of, kind of overwhelming, really, just trying to get your brain around all of it. And in the middle of that, there was a lady sitting over here. She had a hat on, and I went over, and, and it was uh, Steve's wife, Tanya. <clears throat> and uh, she also is a sheriff's deputy. And I said, Tanya, can I do anything for you? And she said, no. Well, she said, yes, there's two things you can do for me. She said, the first thing I'd like you to do is make sure that Governor Brown does not speak at the funeral. She said, it's because of the laws that he signed that the man got out of prison and killed my husband. And then she got tears in her eyes and she said, the second thing, Pastor, is if you could please preach the gospel so clearly that my husband's friends could know how to be saved. Oh, I'd already planned on doing that. But what freedom came over my heart and soul. And while it was quite a crowd of dignitaries and police officers, the Spirit of God just gave complete freedom. And dozens and dozens of people came to know Christ as their Savior. As they understood that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And as they began to understand that Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection. And I'm telling you, I'm confident tonight in this very fact that God has called me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there ought to be a joy in that. There ought to be a thrill in that. There ought to be a privilege in that. That young men in our youth group sense, what a great thing. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Who wants to be a professional basketball player when maybe you could actually preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul was confident in his calling and Paul was confident in his cause. Notice in verse 12, I love the language. It says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. I determined 32 years ago that if I would be a pastor in Southern California, that I would pastor a church of soldiers, not a church of spectators. I believe the ministry is a ministry that is a cause worth living and dying for. Many churches today are very conveniently laid out and designed for people that want to come an hour a week and you know, kind of do their thing, and, and, and I'm glad they go to church, and I hope they're saved, and I'm thankful for anybody that gets saved in any kind of a church, but I just really believe that the Christian life is not about entertainment, it's about warfare, and I really believe it's not about fighting each other, it's about fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil, and Paul said, I, I just live for a cause, it's a cause worth 
suffering for. He said of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a day and a night I have been in the deep. And you study your church history and you're going to find literally a trail of blood leading to the very day that we worship today. And I'm talking about Baptists like John Bunyan who spent 13 years in jail because they would not take a license. And I'm talking about those uh, who were uh, Anabaptist historians and, and preachers who uh, gave their lives in order that we might have the freedom and the gospel even that we have today. Paul said it's worth suffering for. Paul said it's worth waiting for. Notice in verse 12, he said, nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed. By the way, how many of you are thankful for eternal security? I get a little weary of non-denominationalists who want to say that's a non-essential. My friend, doctrine is not non-essential. I'm thankful that I am kept in the hand of God eternally saved. But notice what he says there. He says, committed unto him against that day. He said, my cause is worth suffering for. And it's worth waiting for the reward because sometimes we don't get the reward here. And sometimes it seems like nobody notices. And sometimes the other preacher is blessed by his congregation. And our congregation doesn't quite get it. And sometimes someone else has a big day and we don't have a big day. I just want to remind you that the day of reckoning, the day of reward is not today. But it's that day when Jesus Christ will come again. And Paul said, I know, I'm persuaded, I'm kept by the power of God until that day. And I want to tell you tonight what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace and when he takes me by the hand and when he leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. We need some preachers in 2018 who will walk with confidence in this day, knowing that in that day it will be worth it all when we see Jesus Christ. And so I believe tonight that this is not the time for preachers to be given to change and for preachers to be uh, slowing down and for preachers to be compromising. This is the time not for self-confidence but for biblical confidence that God's word is still right and that we must hold true to the calling of God upon our lives. But not only did Paul display biblical confidence, but he secondly displayed biblical conformity. Now, a lot of times... People look at our lives and they hear our preaching and they sense confidence and hopefully they sense God confidence. But sensing confidence and seeing Jesus are two different things. And there's a great need today for we as preachers to stay in awe and in love with Jesus, conforming to him and to his word. And I want you to see something that I think is wonderful here in this passage in verse 13, he says, Timothy, hold fast the form of sound words. Now, every Timothy needs a pattern. Every Timothy needs the form of, every Timothy needs the sound words. But we also need the form that those words develops. The pattern of those words. And here we see the pattern of the words. Hold fast 
the form of sound words. I believe he's speaking here of a pattern of doctrine. I believe he's speaking of the, the body of doctrine that had been delivered unto the saints. This form is like a sketch or an outline. It creates a pattern for living, and ultimately it is a pattern of conforming to Jesus Christ and Christ's likeness. And the church had an outline of sound, healthy doctrine, and to digress from that outline would have been sin. And so Paul is saying, Hold fast to the outline, to the form of the doctrine that you have been given. Titus 1 and 9, holding fast the faithful word as he had been taught. And I believe that as we teach the word of God, and as we give line upon line, and as we give precept upon precept, and we teach the doctrine of the word of God, we are giving our church family a pattern to follow, a pattern to see. And But it must be more than a taught pattern. There must be more than a pattern of doctrine. There must be a pattern of living. How many fundamentalists have I known who knew some doctrine, but somehow it never transferred down into their life? You see, a pattern of sound doctrine will set a pattern of sound living because our beliefs will determine our behavior. And in sound beliefs should affect the way that we live. First Timothy 1 and 16. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Jesus Christ is the ultimate pattern. He is the ultimate goal. And we're to be looking unto Jesus and to the pattern of doctrine that he has given to us. And Paul uh, believed in this so much that he said, Timothy, I want you to hold to this pattern of doctrine. I want you to hold to this pattern of living. And he's literally at times even said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be ye followers of me as I follow Christ. Now I hear some voices and see some voices on social media that are saying things like this to some of the younger preachers. Don't follow your heritage. Don't follow men. Just follow Jesus. There's truth in that statement. But what they're saying oftentimes really is this. Don't follow those men, follow us. We do not find our validation through men. We should not find our worth through men, colleges, or fellowships. Validation and worth comes from one person. That is Jesus Christ. But we should not minimize the fact that every man of God needs other men of God in his life and that God has given a pattern and that pattern of modeling and mentoring comes and happens in our lives when, when there's a godly person who has a form of godly living that he not only believes it but he's living it out and that's someone that I can look to and that I can follow. And for these that are saying, I read a book written by a good Calvinist and he said don't follow men, just follow Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. If that's not even a biblical statement. Paul said follow me as I follow Christ and I'm thankful that God has given me in my life patterns and men that influenced my life and I mean from a young child had the privilege of hearing and even having in my, phone, my home and Brother Don Cordy will recall some of the conferences and I'm thankful for those men that came through our home and talked about soul winning and separation and godly living and, and I'm thankful for men like Dr. Tom Malone and Dr. Lee Robertson and Dr. G.B. Vick and I'm thankful for these men, Dr. Curtis Hudson and others who came along and, and they were a pattern for me, they were an example, they were not perfect men by the way, they did not all have perfect families. They didn't have everything perfect in their life. But they were following God and giving a pattern that was helpful for me. And 
And my patterns have not come from smoke-filled stages and modern Bible versions. My pattern has come from men who stand true to the Word of God. And Paul says, Timothy, I know I, I, could, I could be dead tomorrow. And I could have written this to all the other churches, but I'm just writing it to you. If just one man could stand. Timothy, remember what I said and remember how I lived. Would be to God that all of us could say that. The pattern of the words led to the portrayal of the words. Notice verse 13. And I want you to see this. Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me. Now notice the portrayal in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> it bothers me when sometimes a younger preacher would perhaps or maybe perceive that there's more faith and more love somewhere else. And I want to just say, pastors, as we consider younger people and as we do the work that God's called us to do, let us keep the faith in an attractive way. You, you mean like, like really cool architecture and websites? That's not what I'm talking about. Those things are fine. But notice what he says. He says, I want you to hold on to this and, and let's do it in faith and love. And I believe today that we need to see a, a new era of faith. I'm talking about where preachers say, you know, we're going we're gonna to launch out and, and do something extra for missions. Or we're going to launch out and outreach this way. Or we're going to build this. Or we're going to have this kind of a meeting. Or we're going to start this bus. I don't know what it means for you. I just mean this. Listen, you're either going right now by sight or by faith. And Paul said to Timothy, let's do it by faith for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. I believe that young people are attracted by visions of faith. I believe that they look to see someone who's trying to win the whole world to Christ. And uh, I'm thankful for my heritage as an independent fundamental Baptist, but I had a young preacher tell me the other day, he said, you know, he said, there's a Christian college and their doctrine's not exactly right, but he said, when they graduate their graduates, they tell them, now go out and change your world. And he said, what well, we tell them, if you ever change, turn your diploma back in. <laughs> and we do tell them that, by the way. But somewhere along the line, in the midst of our truth, in the midst of our dogma, there needs to be this faith once again. That is what was used of God to birth the independent Baptist movement. It was men so filled with faith, they were willing to lose their retirement plan in some liberal convention and step out by faith and pitch a tent and have a revival meeting and go soul winning. They had no idea what was going to happen. And by faith, God raised up what became some of the largest churches in all of the United States of America. Why? because of men who had faith and it was attractive and thousands of young men said I want to do that too I see the faith in their life and I want to follow that but notice also he said by faith and love it, it, it grieves me that people would miss the love that I really believe exists in our independent Baptist churches I've preached in a good many of our churches and I know, I know there's some cranky folks here and there. 
But per capita, I don't know that there's another group doing as much for missions as the Independent Baptists. If you just took it church for church per capita, I don't know of another church group that still runs buses. I've lived for 33 years in one of the largest cities in California. I've never had any other church knock on my door of any kind. Now we have a gate, two dogs, three guns, and two alarm systems, but I mean, <laughs> we, we open the gate during the daytime. I want to tell you something, and I, I want younger people to hear this. There's a lot of love in our independent Baptist churches. Maybe sometimes we need to apologize if they haven't seen it. We maybe need to do a little better at it. But Paul said, Timothy, I want you to hold fast to this form. I want you to be strong. I want you to keep the faith. But Timothy, I want you to do it with faith and love. Years ago, I was in London and I visited a place called Churchill's War Rooms. And this is a museum not far from Buckingham Palace. It's a museum of World War II. And uh, I went into the war rooms there, and there's an amazing, amazing uh, video and various different pictures and things of the, of the war. But I saw a little book, and it was entitled uh, Instructions for American Servicemen, 1942. And so I began to read that, and I purchased a copy. And I began to read through that, and I want to share this just briefly with you. It said, you are going to Great Britain as a part of an Allied offensive to meet Hitler and beat him on his own ground. The following are instructions for you. Number one, this is no time to fight old wars. If you come from an Irish-American family, you may think of the English as persecutors of the Irish, but there is no time today to fight old wars. I find many young preachers are not really interested in fighting a lot of old battles of guys that don't even live anymore. <laughs> Number two, don't be a show-off. The British dislike bragging and showing off. Number three, keep out of arguments. The British don't know how to make a good cup of coffee, and you don't know how to make a good cup of tea. It's an even swap. <laughs> Number four, it's always impolite to criticize your hosts. Number five, it's militarily stupid to criticize your allies. And, and for me, if someone's an independent King James Bible-believing Baptist, I don't care where, where they went to school or even if they went to school, if they have a godly life in a right position, listen, they're, they're my ally in the ministry. And, and you better get that squared away because as the persecution comes, and it's coming, this idea of us four and no more, listen, we have better recognize that we need to encourage and pray for one another. And then number six, remember there's a war on. Paul said, Timothy, I want you to see the confidence that God has called. I want you to see the conformity, conforming to the pattern of doctrine and faith and love. But notice finally tonight, he not only was biblically confident, not only biblically conforming, but he was also biblically continuing in faithfulness. Now notice in verse 14, that good thing which was committed unto to thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Paul was continuing with the gospel. Here are people today talking about the gospel and coalitions for the gospel. and It's almost like the gospel just happened. Friends, the gospel has been around for more than 2,000 years. And I'm talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And Paul said, I want you to continue with the gospel. Look what he says here in verse 14. He says, the gospel is the good thing, that good thing. And I'm telling you, it's still a good thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful thing to preach that we who are fallen sinners have hope because of the perfectly sinless Son of God who, who was tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin, who shed his blood upon the cross, who could have called 10,000 angels and said, take me away, but instead he stayed on that cross. The gospel is a good thing. Oh, the pyramids in Egypt are known for the pharaohs of Egypt and their remains that can be found there. And Westminster Abbey is known for the remains of the notables of England that are buried in Westminster Abbey. And the Taj Mahal in India is known for the wife of the Shah and her remains that are placed there. And Arlington Cemetery in Washington, D.C. is known as the place holding the remains of our honored dead. But I'm telling you what makes the tomb in Jerusalem famous is not that there's anything inside of it. It's the fact that it is empty tonight that we serve a risen Savior and the gospel is still good news. He said the gospel's good, but he said the gospel, the gospel is good, but the gospel must be given. The gospel must be given. Dr. Hudson often said the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience to God. Paul said to the Thessalonians, but as we were out of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. He said, we're going to get the gospel out. It's pleasing to God that we tell about his son. It's pleasing to God that we tell about this great gift that he has given. A couple weeks ago, I was preaching back in Washington, D.C. and at the Capital Connection meeting, and I had invited a friend of mine to come, Todd Starnes from Fox News, and he was uh, giving a brief greeting, and he did a great job. Um, he, he ended his talk by reminding us that the only hope for America is found at the foot of the cross, and wonderful. But after he spoke, I got up to preach, and I noticed that he was kind of clutching his chest, and they walked him out to the back, and he was in a large coliseum, and pretty soon they had an ambulance coming in, and they were loading him into the ambulance Why I preach. And you'd be amazed what we preachers see while we're preaching sometimes. It's enough to unnerve you sometimes. And so after, after the service, I went over there and, and uh, to the hospital, and uh, he was in the hospital in a place called Prince George's County. It is not known as being a very conservative county. And they, they asked him, where do you work? And he said, Fox News. <laughs> and then he looked up, he said, Pastor, am I going to get good care in here? He was kind of worried about that. <laughs> Long story short, we were there until about 4 o'clock in the morning. They checked him in. I was supposed to leave at 6 the next morning. I called my wife. I said, honey, Todd doesn't have a family. His, his parents aren't living. He has no wife. I invited him here. I feel like I need to stay. I don't, I don't know why this is happening, but I, f I feel like I should stay. I went to the hospital a few hours later, just kind of praying along the way. You ever notice sometimes in life, you know God's changing all of your plans. You're not sure why, so you just say, Lord, show me. And I got over there to just be with my friend, and they said, well, he's going to be in tests and echocardiograms for the next few hours, and you, you can't be there with him. So... I went back up to Capitol Hill and I was able to visit one of our congressmen that I led to the Lord a few years ago and, and just uh, have a good time with him. And while I was there, a young man from our church that works at the Department of Commerce, he, he's a very new Christian, but he got this job and he texted me. He said, Pastor, he said, do you think you'd come to so-and-so hotel? There's a restaurant there. And he said, uh, I, I was just wondering if you're still in town, if you could come over here and talk to my girlfriend, Catherine. 
He said, I, I know what she needs, what I have, but I don't know how to tell her exactly how you tell it. And he texted this. And so uh, I called, uh, and, and Todd was still in tests, and Brother Tykert from our church, who's a base commander at Andrews Air Force Base, went over, and he sat with Todd for a few hours, and that gave me time. And I went down to uh, right across from the White House, the Hay Adams Hotel. And we sat there, and here came Catherine. She sat down. She's the chief of staff for... Uh, one of the leaders in the White House, and, and, and I said, Catherine, how long do you have? And she said, well, really, Pastor, I only have about 25 minutes. I said, well, we'll get to know each other later. I said, right now I want to tell you the most important thing anyone could ever tell you. And we open the Word of God. We begin to go through the gospel plan of salvation. I mean, looking about 50 yards out this way to the White House, looking at this young couple, sharing the gospel with her, she prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. I went back to the hospital and I got Todd on a plane later that evening. I said, I know why God changed our schedule, Todd. God wanted somebody to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I really believe God opens opportunities often. And if we would be looking and praying and seeking and walking in the spirit, there's fruit there. There's somebody that needs to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. The gospel is good, but the gospel must be given. And I'm simply saying tonight, the world doesn't need our detergent. The world doesn't need our vitamins. They don't need our oils. They don't need our health juice. What the world needs is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I get tickled with people in our church who, you know, they're kind of, they say, I'm just kind of bashful about soul winning. They are not bashful about essential oil. That's not, that's not rub it on you if you let them. And I'm just saying, if you can walk up to a complete stranger and rub eucalyptus all over their hand, you could at least put a gospel track in their hand. Paul says, continue with the gospel. And then finally, how do you do that? How does anyone finish their race with joy? How many of you are like me? You think about that and you want that to be your testimony. Look at this and I'm done. In this verse number, uh, number 14, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. The only way to continue on is to continue on in the power of the Holy Ghost. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, the uttermost parts of the earth. Other than my wife, probably the most godly woman I've ever known is my mother. She was a bus captain when I was a little boy, nine and ten. And uh, brother, brother Don has known my parents for many years. My dad was a dogmatic preacher. My mom was a very, very just faithful soul winner and organizer of the Sunday school. And she was a bus captain, and I was her assistant bus captain. She was such a soul winner, she never had just one bus. She always had two buses on a normal Sunday. And as the assistant bus captain, I got to check off the clipboard, you know, and kind of go around with mom and, and just learn at an early age just, just about soul winning and bus ministry. And, and my mom, honestly, her entire life has been a soul winner. Everywhere she goes, and every Saturday morning, it didn't matter what was going on, always out soul winning. And a few years ago, she, she came down with Alzheimer's. And uh, it's really been an, an, a difficult thing, actually, to watch. And in fact, Wednesday on the way home, I'm going to stop in Phoenix and go have a word of prayer with her. She won't know who I am. But several months ago, I went to see, see my mother. And she didn't really know who I was, didn't really know the family. But she knew, she, was, she knew we loved her. And that's what I wanted her to know. 
And I took my folks, I wanted to encourage them, so I took them to an In-N-Out burger uh, to have a little something to eat. And some of our, some of our kids were there, grandkids. And uh, the doctor had said, now if you take your mother, she has a form of Alzheimer's that's a little unusual. So instead of just sitting there, she just runs everywhere all the time. And he said, and she's fast. And she's 78 years old, but she is fast as lightning. And she's, she's literally, she's jumped out the windows of the hospital. She's uh, you know, run away from the nurses. And, and so they said, you can take her, but just keep an eye on her. Well, we're sitting there and we're having our hamburgers. And all of a sudden I looked over, she was gone. <clears throat> I thought, oh boy. And I started looking around. And there she was over in the corner of the restaurant going from table to table. Gospel tracks. If you were to die today, do you know for sure that you'd spend eternity? Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know that Jesus died on the cross for you? And I thought, they took her credit cards away. They took her driver's license away. So she just stuffs tracks in her purse. And she doesn't know who I am and she doesn't know who my dad is, but she still knows who Jesus is. Continuing, continuing for the gospel. We can say a lot of things, but may our life leave the example that's needed for the generation coming behind us. They may not all choose to follow. I don't understand why, but I can be faithful. And you can be faithful by the grace of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. To learn more about our church and its helpful ministries, visit us on the web at www.gospelitebaptist.org. If we can be a blessing to you in any way, let us know.